Our scripture reading for today is from Galatians 5, 16, 26. Feel free to open your Bible or follow along up there. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Will. The way you said drunkenness is, is, is sounded like maybe you were a little drunk. Um, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we love you. Thank you for Will, um, his willingness to serve us and be, make fun of him. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be with us today as we look at your word and we look at this heavy text. Man, this is not something light. Um, this is a warning. And this is an encouragement all at the same time. So would you continue to just work in our hearts to receive what is true and what is good? Lord, may we, those that know you, that are called by you, that are your children, may we be sanctified and encouraged in a deeper way as we hear this. And Lord, for those that maybe do not know you, would they hear these words as an invitation to salvation today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, good morning. Um, I, as I said before, I'm hobbling around on this knee. I injured my knee last week and um, I went to the doctor and when I went to the doctor he said you know we probably need to do some kind of surgery or something but for now what we're going to do is we're going to drain your knee and we're going to give you an injection and he began to describe what it was going to feel like he said it's not very fun you're going to feel the needle this way moving around this way and all of these details he just dove into as if he had been there before so I asked him have you had this procedure done before? And he said, yes, I actually have given it to myself. And I said, wow, are you preparing for a zombie, uh, uh, I can't say the word, apocalypse, or what's going on? And he said, no, I just have discovered as a doctor that when you know, when you examine certain things, and you know what the right thing to do is, the doing it isn't actually that hard. And you can do a lot of it even to yourself. He said, but it's knowing what to do, which is the difficult part about it. So I said, that's interesting. I'd like to hear more about what you have done to yourself. But it reminded me of something that we're looking at today. It reminded me of this reality that what Paul is doing in this passage is telling us part of the practice of being a Christian, besides just reading your Bible and praying and being a part of, you know, weekly worship together, one of the things that we're called to do is to examine our own hearts, is to look into our own soul and ask the question based off of the, fr the fruit that is produced in our lives, do I actually believe in God? 
Am I actually a Christian? It's a hard thing to look at sometimes. There can be some fear behind that question for some of us. Maybe some anxiety. What if I discover that I don't actually know God by looking at these warnings? When we examine the fruit of our lives, our actions and our behaviors, Paul is saying we can discover the root of what we believe God is or who God is. When we observe the fruit in our lives, this is a bold statement, when you observe the fruit in your life, according to this passage, it will reveal the root of what you believe God to be. That's a bold move by Paul in this text. And it's an important practice because if you are someone who attends church and, you know, you say, I believe in God, I sing the songs, I know all of these things, there is an actual potential warning for you that you might be missing it. That's just a reality. You might actually be missing it. So here is what he begins with in Galatians 5. And he's talking to churches. He's not talking to those outside of the church. He's talking to churches. In Galatians 5, 18, he says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, he sets this whole thing up, basically telling us this. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, a child of God, there will be fruit in your life. There absolutely will be the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So on one hand, take a deep breath and go, that's awesome. But on the other hand, listen closely because we want to make sure, am I a child of God? Is there fruit? When, he, it, it, when you hear that passage, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, it doesn't really sound like he's saying, if you are a Christian, you are not under the law. He's like saying, if you do something, like every morning when you wake up, if you get on your Peloton and you exercise or you do this, then you will get in shape. That's not actually what he's getting at here. What he's saying is, if you are a child of God, if you are of the Spirit, you will be led by the Spirit and you are no longer under the law. He says in Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So if you are led by the Spirit of God, that means you are a son or a daughter of God. It's just the natural fruit of what will happen. We've been going through this book of Galatians, and we're in chapter 5. There's one more chapter after this, and he is just now getting in to the practical stuff of what we're called to actually do as Christians. Paul spends the majority of this letter telling us first who we are. You're a child of God. Chris Harper last Sunday was sitting here talking to us about how God doesn't need your good works. This is the message of Paul in Galatians. God doesn't need your work. It's on behalf of Jesus Christ that you have been saved. Jesus lived the life you couldn't live. Jesus died the death that you deserved. Jesus rose again from the dead as the firstborn of all creation. And you will then, by putting your faith in him, rise from the grave. Your sin was 
buried with him in the grave, and Jesus' righteousness is your righteousness. Over and over and over and over again, that's what Paul is saying. Like, get it through your thick skulls, Church of Galatia. You guys are so confused. You're warring over this. You're practicing circumcision and old traditions because you think it has something to do with you to be saved. Then, as a result of that, you're self-righteous toward other people. You think you're better than them because it was all about you to start with. And he's saying there should be unity at the foot of the cross. There should be peace among us. There should be humility because none of us earned this. Jesus did the work on behalf of us. Galatians 2.20, so clearly he says it here. I have been crucified with Christ. Now keep in mind, Paul, maybe the greatest Christian of all time. I would say for sure the greatest missionary of all time. Saying this about himself. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I know, I now live... In the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That is not a resume of works that Paul is talking about. He is simply saying, all my worth, all my value, all my hope, all of my righteousness comes from something outside of me. It comes from Jesus, who has gifted this to me. Now, chapter 5, in light of all of that, here is how we walk this out. Here is how we act. Here is what we do. It's the only, Christianity is the only religion that begins by telling you who you are, that you're already saved, and therefore now work out of joy. All other religions will tell you, you have to earn it. You have to follow a set of rules, and then you're saved. This is a radical message that the church in Galatia was having a hard time understanding. And if we're honest with ourselves on a daily basis, we have a hard time grasping this. Jesus has accomplished the work for us, and we then are propelled to do good works out of gratitude in our hearts. And if Jesus has gotten a hold of you, he has saved you, you are a child of God, your good works will flow out of you. And it's just naturally going to happen. You will be led by the Spirit. I have quite the age range of kids, 6 up to 17. It's like I'm, I get to be a dad two different times. We've broken them into categories. We have the bigs and the littles. And so I get to watch all the kid movies over again, which is awesome. Uh, and so we're watching Harry Potter with the littles right now. And I was reminded recently of even this text in this passage at the beginning of the first Harry Potter when he's in his, the muggle's house, right, his aunt and uncle's house, and he's living there. And he keeps getting these letters dropped to him by owls inviting him to Hogwarts uh, school. And the, the aunt and uncle keep burning the letters. They don't want him to go. They're jealous. They don't want him to practice magic and do all these things. And so they keep hiding all the letters, but it doesn't matter because Harry Potter is a wizard. And Harry Potter is going to get that invitation no matter what. And so you got letters flying through the chimney. He's trying to burn them. They're coming on Sunday. 
the ants cracking eggs and they're popping out of the eggs, the invitation letter to this school to be led into a better understanding of magic. There is no escape. Harry Potter is destined for Hogwarts. They are going to lead them and there is nothing any outside force can do. Now sit in this for a minute. If you are a child of God, There is no limitation to what God can do in your life. There is no outside force that can keep the fruit of the Spirit being produced in who you are. There is no lack of giftedness. There is nothing. God can do whatever he wants, and he will produce good fruit in you. Supernatural things that will come out of you, that you will love people in radical ways, that you will have patience that blows people away. They've never even seen that kind of thing before. It will be formed in you, is what Paul is saying. No matter what, this is going to be produced. All of us have different levels in which it will be produced. We have different highlighted gifts and things like that. But God is at work in you if he is in you. And he is going to do unbelievable things in your life. The fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is different than our culture. Fruit is slow. Fruit, have you ever tried to watch an apple grow on an apple tree? It's not very entertaining. But if you walk away from that apple tree and you return a couple months later, all of a sudden there's a big, red, juicy apple that almost looks like, wow, where did that come from? If you think about in your own life, the way in which God works, it's similar. If you think about, man, how am I doing? I woke up yesterday, I had a really bad day. I woke up today, I repeated the same patterns, I did some really bad things. Why can't I seem to get over this habit? Why can't I seem to break this addiction? Why can't I seem to stop doing the same pattern of rudeness, of selfishness, of whatever it might be? But if you stop and you reflect on what three years ago, five years ago, looked like in your life, as a child of God, not only will you see your weaknesses have gotten stronger, but your strengths have gotten stronger. We're in process of moving right now, and I opened up a couple journals um, from when I first started Restore Church, and many of you were there in 2016, and I was just reading through a couple journals. I never do that, but I was sorting through some boxes, and I just began to read through some of the things that I was opening up about that I was struggling with, And I was so encouraged to see, and this isn't bragging because I believe this is the spirit of God's work in my life, that there was growth. That the things that were bogging me down, that I was struggling with, just these desires that weren't right at times, that the Lord had begun to massage those out of me in time. And I could actually see growth from five years ago by reading these journals. I still am very far from perfect. But I was so thankful to to sit there and say, the Spirit of God is doing this in me. The same is true with you. It would be a great exercise to just reflect on in your own life, what has God done in my life that I can celebrate that I did not celebrate or did not have five years ago? As a child of God, if you look back on those things, I promise you, you will see growth in your weaknesses and in your strengths. So what are, or what is, this list of fruit? 
he uses it in a singular way, which is interesting. We'll get to that. But there's nine different types of fruit that sort of fall under the same singular word. The first one that he talks about, by the way, I'm going to go through all nine of these in a very brief way, but these are words that we're familiar with. I was astonished as I looked at each one of these words a little bit more in depth in the Greek and different things like that. I was realizing they all hold more meaning to them than maybe at first glance. So let's talk about what fruit looks like in the spirit of God. What does the spirit working in your life actually look like? He says the first one, love. What a generic word. But that word is actually agape love. And this is the type of love that I would say is a one-way love. And what I mean by that is, it's not a love that exists as currency. It's not a love that says, if I do this nice thing for you, if I love you this way, then I expect you to respond this way and give this type of love back. This is a love that says, it doesn't matter what your response is. It doesn't matter what I gain. I am simply going to offer love to you. You could spend the rest of your life trying to process through what that would look like. The only perfect place we've seen this is in the life of Jesus where everything was taken from him by the very people that put him on the cross that he came to die and to save. But Jesus is telling us, or Paul is telling us, that the Spirit of God in our life gives us a type of love like that, an agape love put in us, unnatural. The other thing that we see is joy. And this is not an emotion. This is not a happiness. This is a deep, rested settleness that doesn't matter what your circumstances are around you. It's a trust. It's a joy in God himself. My circumstances change all the time. But God, who I find my joy in, never changes. Therefore, joy never has to leave. God is inviting us to experience a permanent joy in your life. It's available to you on tap by trusting not in your circumstances, but in the God who is unchanging and rules and reigns over your circumstances. You can find joy, not some flimsy happiness, but a deep rested joy in God all the time. Peace. Again, a deep restfulness in all moments where you understand that God is completely in control. I don't have to control things. I don't have to be anxious about different situations. I don't have to power up. I can just be at peace because God is perfectly in control and he loves me. No big emotional swings. The great things, yeah, they're good, but I still get heaven. That's going to be better. The bad things, yeah, that's bad, but I get heaven. There's a peace and a settledness that the Spirit of God gives us. Kindness. This is a genuine offering of yourself to others. There's a difference between being nice and being kind. Kindness is one that doesn't do something in order to be seen by others as, wow, that's a really nice guy. That's a really kind guy. Kindness simply offers in the dark something to someone else with no expectation of return. Kindness. Goodness. This is a genuineness. Are you who you are 
in private as who you are in public? Are you transparent? Are you honest about yourself? Are you good to the core? Or do you put on a show? Do you act a different way around certain people? Maybe talk about other people when they're not around? Maybe try to impress other people and build yourself up a little bit? Or are you just who you are in humility all the time? This is what the Spirit of God begins to work in us is that we can just be who we are because we know what God's grace looks like. It covers all of our blemishes. And it's okay. Faithfulness. This is being true to your word. I struggle in this area. I want to please people. I want them to be really happy. So I will overpromise, underdeliver at times. But faithfulness, the Spirit of God working in us, is one that says, if you say you're going to do it, you do it. You follow through with it. You're faithful. You say you're going to worship God, you do it. You say you're going to serve someone, you follow through with it and do it. Gentleness. Gentleness is oftentimes associated with weakness, but I think it's just the opposite. I think gentleness is strength under control. Gentleness is when you have power, but you're able to harness that power into loving service of other people. When you want to explode and you want to get angry, or maybe you're even in a position of leadership and you have power, and you don't use that to your advantage, but you're gentle with those that God has put under your care or around you. It's the Spirit of God moving inside of you. And then the last one is self-control. And this is simply this. It's mastery over your desires and your passions. Are you led astray and led away by burning passions in your life? They're drugs, alcohol, sex, anger. Take your pick on the list. Do you have mastery over those things? The Spirit of God in your life empowers you to begin to not be led astray by your own desires, but gives you self-control. Church, children of God, this is a gift from God for you. This is yours. You possess these things, and over time, you will see these things grow, and you will look more and more like Jesus. We hear this list, and I, I was going through this list, and I was thinking, I have this, but maybe not this one quite so much, or I, I've got this. And, and, and I've, I've heard this so many times in community, and I've felt this myself, is I'm not very good at this one, but at least I'm good at this one, right? God has given every single person a gift, and a gift is different than the fruit of the Spirit. Paul uses singular language when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He does not say the fruits of the Spirit, and it's weird because then he lists nine things, and it's even weirder in the Greek if you read it that way. So it's meant to kind of jolt you a little bit and go, does he have a grammar problem or what's happening? And the point is this, this is all-encompassing hope for you. This is an all-encompassing promise for you that every single one of these things that was listed will be produced one degree more to the next as time goes on as a child of God. 
but it's also a warning in that if you're just holding to one of these things and there's a pattern in your life where some of these other things are just out of control and you don't care, I don't care if I leave people hanging. I don't care. I'll give you an example. I was going through this list and I, was, I got really excited about the, uh, the faithfulness one. Because I thought to myself, you know, I will be faithful. I will say what I mean to someone. I will be able to speak that out loud and, and people pat me on the back. They say, You're transparent, Brad. That's great. I'm glad you do that. Um, but when it came to the gentleness one, I, I didn't want to read that one as much. Because sometimes in my transparency, in my honesty, I'm not that gentle. And I immediately want to go, well, that's just not my wiring. That's not the way I am. If they can't handle it, they don't have thick enough skin, then that's the way it is. But that's not how it works. God is producing all of these things in us, some greater than others. But as you look at this list, none of us should say, well, I'm this number on the Enneagram, therefore, I don't need to grow in that number. I don't need to grow in that strength. I don't even need to look at that. That's just the way I am. How many times have you said that to yourself or heard that said? That's ah, just not me. God is telling us we should look more and more like each one of these strengths and weaknesses in our life. We should look more like Christ. Some of us saying, I'm gentle, I'm a peacemaker, but maybe underneath all of that is you're a people pleaser and you're a coward to speak the truth. And the invitation here is to say, okay, Lord, open my heart up and grow and learn what it means to speak the truth in love. So let's not be confused with the gifts, with the fruit, but know that God is inviting us to grow in all of these different areas. The difference in these things, this is why we don't just start trying to do a bunch of good things and check the box. The difference in this, from the way that maybe you understand goodness, and the way that God defines goodness, the way that you understand love, and the way that God defines love is this. It's a shift in your heart that takes place. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is how it is possible. The Holy Spirit moves on your heart and begins to change your motivation from being one that is self-centered to being one that is God-centered and other-centered. This is the work that the Lord does. So all of a sudden, you're not just being kind to someone to get something. You're being kind to someone because God has been incredibly, indescribably kind to you on a daily basis. And out of that, there is now this God-centered heart directed toward others that has no limit of how much kindness you can show because there was no limit in how much kindness God has shown to you. Do you see that paradigm shift? On one hand, you're out for yourself. God comes and does this work on your heart. And now all of a sudden, how can I be out for myself when God has done all of this for me? There's two lists, actually, that Paul gives in this passage. The other list is what's called the works of the flesh. There's another long list. This one's a lot longer. It's 15 things. It's not exhaustive. It's a bunch of examples that Paul gives. But he says this, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, 
fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Like the list will just continue to go on. But this is what happens from a heart that is centered on itself versus a heart that is centered on God. A heart that is centered on itself desires, or better way to say it, is over-desires things. A disproportionate desire of things that will screw your whole life up. It will screw other people's lives up. The word flesh is actually translated sarks, and it's an over-desire, or a disproportionate drive is the way you could define it. So my desire to do well in work and be faithful in work, because that desire is so big, all of a sudden it turns into envy. When someone does better than I do, they make more money than I do, my heart is filled with envy toward them. Or maybe there's a healthy good desire for sex in the way that God has ordained this wonderful gift to be, and your over-desire for sex becomes something that is based now on your rules and what you define as good and bad and how you use it. I'm going to use it to be selfish and to get from others and not give anything. Forget the covenant of marriage. I'm going to just have absolute fallout of people's lives around me because I am taking as much as I can from them with this over desire. A desire to perform becomes an idol. You become a workaholic. You spend all of your time focused on your image. An over-desire. Most of these things are not bad, but when they become this disproportionate desire from a heart that is self-centered, there's major repercussions in your life and those around you. And if this is something, this is the gravity of this passage right here. If this is something that is existing in your life, has existed in your life, and there is no pattern of fighting against this, waging war against this, Paul's warning is, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are people that don't wage war against this self-centeredness. And that's not the thing that condemns them. That's just evidence that their heart is already condemned. There's a weight to this passage. I don't know if you feel that right now. I do. But then there's this other thing that Paul is talking about when he says, crucify the flesh. So now he's talking to those that have been saved, and he's saying, you do have the fruit of the Spirit available to you, but you're also going to see some of these self-centered things come out of you. There's two things going on at once. You're fighting a war inside of you. The old man and the new man. The self-centered heart that wants what he or she thinks she deserves And then the heart that's reminded through the Spirit, oh yes, God loves me, God saves me. I don't have to do this. I'm free to love others. 
This is where most of us live in a church. We live in this battle. And for some of us that just became Christians, maybe the fruit in your life is so tiny, just so small. We barely see he's kind of a jerk. I think he loves Jesus. You know, there's work in, in maybe in five years we'll see more growth. And that's amazing. That's awesome. But there is absolutely a war going on for those who are mature and for those who are young believers in the faith. When I, I have my Wi-Fi connector, I don't know what that's called, on my phone, on all the time. And there's a certain part of Arlington that when I'm driving through it, my phone connects to some sort of Wi-Fi, and it takes over my entire phone. Like, I get these warnings that come up. It's the weirdest thing. I've talked to a number of people about it. They can't help me. I'll get random text messages from all these, like, advertising people promising me a new iPad and all this stuff. And I, I can't, my phone doesn't even function. I have to turn it off and then turn it back on. It's very frustrating. I think it's part of the fall, and it's part of the curse from Satan himself. So this is what I deal with, but my phone just gets completely hijacked as it's opened up to accept Wi-Fi. It's the same thing in our hearts. When this over-desire for something hits us, it's like things are going well, right? Things are going pretty well walking in the spirit i'm feeling like i'm loving people well and then all of a sudden something will hit trigger me it could be from my childhood my history it could be just a weakness in my own life one of my over desires whatever it is it triggers me and i just respond in ways that are ridiculous at times almost like forgetting who i am i can't even function anymore i'll give you an example this happened to me yesterday. This is fresh. I like to give fresh examples because the guys that give the examples from 15 years ago, I feel like that's kind of cheating. Let's talk about now. Here it is. I'm driving in my truck yesterday. I've got gallons of paint. I used to paint um, houses. I used to do that for a living. So I have some gallons of paint in my truck. I'm driving. We're getting ready to paint a house. And I turn quickly and one of the paint cans hits another one in the back of my truck, like in the bed of my truck, and explodes everywhere, on the window, everything. I'm in the car with my wife and my son, and I fortunately whispered a word, didn't say it out loud, and what happened was I felt in that moment so stupid. I felt shame because I know you don't put paint cans in the back of your truck when they're not kind of held in because as soon as you hit a turn or something they'll just the lids will pop off and they explode everywhere so now my whole the whole back of my truck is white paint everywhere and everybody sees me right i'm driving down the road and i'm feeling like everybody that sees me thinks i'm a total idiot like this look at this loser he put paint in the back of his truck and so i start feeling shame i pull over and uh, my wife, being the sweet, kind woman that she is, starts saying, well, let me help do this. And all of a sudden, I just want to be so mean to her. I think it's because I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed in that moment. And I start being so mean. I'm like, it doesn't matter. You start yelling. And she's like, I was just trying to help you out. We get home and the boys, my sons come out. They're like, dad, we'll help you. And I'm, I feel myself just being mean to them. Because when I feel embarrassed or ashamed, I don't know what it is, but there's something in me that feels better if I'm mean to other people. And it was like in an instant, I was reminded of Hebrews 
I was reminded of what Jesus did on the cross, according to Hebrews 12. That he bore my shame. He despised the shame, and he took it on himself. And in that moment, it wasn't like, stop being mean. It was this underlying deep truth that my soul needed to hear. I can't love them right now because I'm filled with so much shame. But when I remembered that Jesus bore the shame and something as stupid as me putting paint cans in the back of my truck and I'm spilling all over the place, that I can be free and rest in the fact that God still loves me. It was a stupid move, but there's grace and ultimately I don't have to carry this weight anymore. And it was like within just a few minutes, I was able to make a couple comments about how silly I was. We were all laughing and we were cleaning up the truck together. And my boys just sat out there and served and loved me well and helped me wipe down the truck. But it was something so stupid as that to where this little moment to where all of a sudden I just want to be mean and I didn't need to hear stop being mean. What I needed to hear was the truth of the gospel that goes deep that says, you don't have to carry shame. And it was that that actually changed my behavior. That is what it looks like to crucify the flesh. I didn't grip my teeth and say, stop being mean. I simply remembered what Jesus Christ has already done for me. Jesus has outperformed you Jesus has outloved you more than anyone else will ever love you. Jesus has extended kindness to you that you cannot wrap your mind around. And in these moments, when you feel that sense of takeover, that over-desire, crucifying your flesh, is pointing truth back to the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for you and living out of that truth, even in little, stupid, paint-spilling moments like that. When we examine the fruit of our lives, our actions and our behaviors, we can discover the root of what we believe about God. Here's the truth of it. All of those different categories of fruit that I read through, Jesus Christ has possessed perfectly. And Jesus Christ died a punishment as if he had broken every single one of those royally. But he did that so that when we get deceived in moments, when we get overtaken in our own desires, Jesus says, no, I paid the price for you. You possess my righteousness. You are mine. You belong to me. There's a story by a guy uh, in Italy. He was a pastor. This is a number of years ago. His name was G. Campbell Morgan. And he was visiting a graveyard and he was stopped by this sight that he saw of a big gravestone that had been broken in two places. And out of that was a huge acorn tree that had grown up right through it. And it became this place where people just were kind of astonished that how does a tree grow out of a casket in a tombstone is split in the middle of it. And what happened was this. 
there was a man that was buried. And as he was put in the casket, an acorn fell in the casket. And in his death, he was buried and closed it all up and closed the dirt on it. And this acorn began to grow out of it. In this big, huge tablet that was over it, his gravestone, was completely shattered in the midst of it. And this pastor reminded his church, and he reminded others, that it's in our death, when we crucify ourselves, when we allow ourselves to be buried with Christ and remember the truth of who Jesus is, that in our death, there is life that grows out of us that no obstacle can contain. It is in the death of Christ that we remember Jesus is breathing life into us. So no matter what it is, even as I'm preaching this heavier sermon where we talk about our weaknesses and we're reflecting on all of these things, let this be an invitation to you that no matter where you are in your journey, no matter what obstacle you're dealing with, that the life and power of the resurrection of Christ is at work in you through his spirit. And for you that don't know Jesus, if you're looking at this and say, this is a pattern in my life that has continued, I want to invite you to trust in the fact that in Christ's death, by believing that you are saved through him and not through your works, you too can live an eternal life with the righteousness of Christ dwelling inside of you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've just arranged history in this world in such a way that it's through death, through the death of your son Jesus, that we see life. Lord, that there is suffering that had to take place so that we could be free. And Lord, as I look at this list, I'm overwhelmed of how far I am from it, but how good you are at working in me, at working in those around me, these different types of fruit. So Lord, I just pray that you would encourage our people today. God, if there are people here that are wondering, man, do I know Jesus? Is there a pattern in my life of self-centeredness? And I just don't care. Lord, would you grant them the gift of repentance to cry out to you in faith to surrender their lives to following you, to experience freedom, to experience actual empowerment and change in their life so that they can love others and they can receive your love? Lord, would you do that work right now? And Lord, for those that do know you and we are just waging war against our flesh, we're waging war, the old man versus the new man, Lord, would you just grant us the gift of sanctification and maturity right now, Lord? Would the things that are of the Spirit be attractive to us? And the things that are of the flesh, Lord, that are self-centered, self-seeking, Lord, would they just become more and more unattractive to us? Lord, we want to see fruit as a church. We want others to know the love of Christ. We want our family to know the love of Christ. We want our neighbors to know the love of Christ. And Lord, we don't always want this, but our enemies need to know the love of Christ, Lord. 
So would you grant in us fruit that would go out and be so foreign, yet so attractive to people, that people would be stunned, that they would be changed, that they would ask questions about it, Lord, that they would come to know you in salvation from it. We love you. We thank you for the good work that you are doing in the life of all of your children. In Jesus' name, amen. We take communion every Sunday here, and uh, the way that we take communion is we have our table set up in the front, um, so we're going to just play a couple songs. We just would invite you to come on up. Um, what communion is, is, is just a really practical way of celebrating what Christ has done and will continue to do in us, and so we have uh, cracker, which represents the body of Christ, which was broken. We have juice at the same time, which represents his blood. And um, we partake of that together, remembering that we are one with Christ in righteousness. And so I would just invite you up. Pastor Gavin and I will serve you. Um, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to actually just pray a blessing over you from right here. And, and you can just stay in your seat. Um, and if you are a child and you have not been baptized, you can come up and we have a Hershey kiss for you. And we want to just remind you that the table is sweet and that this is a place um, where all are invited and called to the righteousness of Christ. And so let me, let me just pray for you. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to pray a blessing over you because the Lord loves you and we love you. We're glad you're here. So Lord, would you begin to do that work in the heart of those who maybe have doubts or questions, maybe don't even know where they are in this whole process? Uh, Lord, would you just remind them and show them and reveal to them your love? Would they get a sense as they leave this place that they are seen by the Creator? There is hope from a Savior, and the invitation is for them. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.